0: This is a podcast about journeys. My name is Dennis Sanders, and I'm your host. Well, today, we're going to talk about collapse. Or actually, well, I think that the Germans, or at least the German language, sometimes has so many interesting words about it. Um, there, you know, Usually, there are about these... 18-syllable words that mean something. Um, we also we know about Freuda and um, uh, Gemeinschaft. I'm thinking I got that one wrong. Um, the one that I want to talk about today is Gotterdammerung. Um, and that is German, of course. It's denoting the collapse usually of a regime and that's marked by violence and disorder. Uh, the word kind of came into being really by uh, because it's the title of the fourth and uh, last of the of um, Wagner's Ring Cycles. Um, so usually when we want to talk about kind of calamity or a catastrophe or a cataclysm or something um, you can use the word Gotterdammerung. And um, I want to use the, that the, that's kind of the name of this podcast or this episode because I want to talk a little bit about gutter Gotterdammerung in our own society in America. Is that happening? Um, this was prompted actually by an article by Ross Douthat uh, from the New York Times. He wrote an article um, this past week uh, that is entitled, Are We Destined for a Trump Coup in 2024? And so he's talking a lot about how there are certain people that kind of catastrophize and look that there is a coming coup, some type of of disaster heading our way that uh, Donald Trump is going to engineer. Um, And... You know, it could be 2024, but it could also be a lot sooner. He tends to think um, that people are being a little um, overheated. And I don't always know what to think. Um, I know sometimes I think there are people that, that do, I think, go a little bit crazy about stuff like this. But... It's also hard to dismiss it. And I think it's harder to dismiss it, especially in light of what happened on January 6th. The insurrection, um, if it hasn't shaken us to our core, it should have. Um, something like this has not happened before, or at least it has not happened in centuries to this extent. There have been other cases where people have um, entered the capital and caused havoc. Um, I'm very mindful of uh, when some uh, Puerto Rican um, terrorists kind of came in. Um, I think on the floor it was the floor of the house, um, and we ended up shooting. Um, But nothing really to this, the scale of what happened on January 6th of 2021, that was something that was unheard of. And, um, you know, some people think, is this a dress rehearsal for something bigger? And I don't know, I I can't say that this could be just a one-off, but I don't know. And I think especially after that, If there were any doubts about this president or um, the former president's belief in and trust in democracy and the rule of law, um, that it was not present, it was very clear on that day on what happened. Um, So... Delta doesn't think that something like this is going to happen, and he also looks at, you know, the Democrats um, in some of the ways that they have dropped the ball, it's, and also some of the ways that Trump has not necessarily been the smartest, um, you know, he, he's not the evil, genius, you know, Bond-style person. Except I think that he is probably a lot smarter than we give him credit. He is not book smart. But I think he is smart, and sometimes I do think he is playing three-dimensional chess, just not in the way that we think he is. Because what I think that he is trying to do is really not about... He's not trying to come through the front door, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. I think he's trying to come in through the window. And I think that he's trying to sow doubt... Um, it's not about whether he is telling a lie. You know, he's told thousands of lies. But the the point here is not that he wants to um, tell the lie as much as he wants to confuse people and sow distrust. And I think the big lie that everyone talks about that he he tries to say that that Joe Biden has stolen the election that he he was the rightful winner is not as much about trying to um, lie as much as it is, I think, to sow doubt. To sow doubt in our elections. I think that the thing is, let's say in 2024 we have an election that ends up somewhat similar to 2020, where... Mail in ballots make a difference. And let's say that Trump, let's say that Biden wins if he runs in 2024. You already then have a ready made people, a ready made electorate, at least half of the electorate that will automatically not believe that. They will not concede defeat. and when that happens then you have basically said that representative democracy is in trouble because if you can't trust or you can't believe that the opponent that you may not like can win and win fairly then can you really have the change in power can you really be can you really have the continuity of government And I think that that's what Trump's trying to do. As I said, I think he's trying to go in through the the window, the kitchen window, and I think what he's trying to do is, is to delegitimize our system of elections so that we don't trust each other. And basically what he is trying to do, and he is setting himself up as, is the arbiter of truth, that truth depends on him. Which, unfortunately, is very much how authoritarian societies are ruled. Because the truth doesn't lie independent of a leader. It It is a... Truth is basically the jurisdiction of... It belongs to the leader. So, as you can see, I'm a little hesitant to totally give in to um, Galset's belief... Though I don't know if we're going to necessarily have a coup. The coup may not be what we're expecting. It could be something totally different. But whatever it is, it's the thing that would happen, that it would weaken, if not destroy, American democracy. And I don't know if that will happen. I, I pray to God that it doesn't. But I think that that's what they're trying to do. Um, Amona Charon, who, who writes for The Bulwark, um, has her own podcast, Beg to Differ, um, has talked about the fact that, um, and she begins first with the the whole um, uh, being of of uh, Liz Cheney being kicked out and replaced by um, Elise Stefanik. And it, basically, that that's a sign that the party is no longer going to be bound by law or custom. Um, and she reminds people that in 2020, um, many of the Republican office holders, um, many, and I would add many judges, and that includes uh, Mike Pence basically held the line. Um, They were not interested in trying to falsify anything. They were not trying to pretend that there was fraud. But we can't trust that that's going to happen again four years from now. Um, As she says, the party has been schooled since then. Um, The base believes, basically, the lies that have been perpetrated... Um, and she notes and she basically says that in 2024, uh, and she quotes uh, her colleague, Amanda Carpenter, would be that instead of stopping the steal, it will be to steal it back. And the base itself does really believe a lot of these these lies. Um, Two thirds and two three quarters of some uh, Republicans basically continue to say that uh, Joe Biden was Ill- illegitimate. He was illegit- He's illegitimate. Sixty uh, percent say that the election was stolen from Trump. Um, when many of these people are asked who is the president right now, most of the most Republicans are going to say it's Trump. that is disturbing because what it's saying is that the rank and file of the gop is in some ways not in touch with reality um, which in some ways mirrors former president trump and i've been listening i have you know the book isn't out yet i hope to read it soon but the um there have been um jonathan Rauch, um who works at the brookings institution has this new book out called The Constitution of Knowledge. He has been doing the uh, kind of podcast circuit. And um, one of the things that he says I think is important in a democracy is to really believe, obviously, in truth, uh, in reality. When you have people who are, have no longer have hold of reality, when, when they kind of have their own stories, their own beliefs. Democracy is in danger. And, um, right now we already have one political party that in many ways doesn't have hold on reality. And I think that's dangerous because if they don't see the truth, they basically have their own truth. Um, then that works to delegitimize the rest of the system. Because the only reason that the system continues is because of trust. We trust in that system. We trust that someone has, if they have lost, we trust that the other person has won and that they will govern fairly. When you don't have that trust, when you don't have people based in any sense of reality, you're in trouble. And then there's also the talk about violence and um, David French brought this up recently that you know if and he says here and I quote if there is a single lesson that we can take from January 6 it's quite simply that when you tell tens of millions of Americans that one political party is trying to steal an election then some subset of those Americans will act like a party is stealing an election. They'll do something about it, and you know that's the thing also that that frightens me or concerns me actually about this belief that Trump will be reinstated in August. What if someone out there thinks that the way to that their way to do that is to commit some sort of violence? I don't know. I'm not suggests or or is encouraging that or anything, but the fact is, if if you keep telling people that the president, president, former president Trump is going to be reinstated when that's not the case, someone's going to try to make that a reality. And so, what do we do here? Um, and I don't know. I don't know. How do we? Um, try to prevent what could be a slow motion disaster that we are seeing ahead of us. I think that all we, you know, there are lots of people that act as if there is nothing that we can do. That we see this train wreck happening and all we can do is watch it. But that would be wrong. If we're seeing something that is going to happen, then we need to do whatever we can to stop it. We at least have to try. Are we headed towards a coup? I don't think so. Are we headed towards collapse? That I think is possible. I don't know what that could look like. I don't know that there's going to be anything happening after January 6th. What I do know is that former President Trump and many people within the GOP are engaged in a dangerous game. And at some point, something's going to happen if we don't find a way to stop it. I'm concerned about the Democrats because they talk a lot about the danger, but they don't seem to act on it. So I don't know what to do with that. There doesn't seem to be a lot of original thinking about how to Stop the oncoming train, which leads me to this other article, which in some ways has nothing to do with this kind of talk about collapse, and it has everything to do with it. Um. First, I have to kind of talk about uh, one of the kind of the TV show my that I'm obsessing over at the moment is uh, for all mankind. Um, that is on Apple Plus. And for those of you who haven't watched the series or don't know what it's about, um, For All Mankind is a, kind of a science fiction, um, but it, it's, it's an alternate history. So instead of the um, Neil Armstrong um, and Apollo 11 going to the the moon first, It's the Soviets that get to the moon first, and so this alternate reality is basically a a place where the space race hasn't ended, and it's it's a fascinating look at what, in some ways, because I'm someone that loves to follow the, I'm interested in the space program, and I'm interested in kind of the questions of why we haven't gone back to the moon. Um, and there's an article I wrote about this. It's only in the show notes, but it kind of talks about the, the story talks about the fact of what would society look like had we kept up in space race and this alternate America has a, a moon base. There is a moon base there. Um, the shuttle program is, um, alive and kicking in season two. And I should go back a second is that the first season deals with uh, the years between 1969 and 1974. Um, The second season deals with the 1980s, 1983. Um, And it's fascinating because, you know, there are a whole fleet of shuttles that, um, you know, do things in low earth orbit, but also go to the moon Uh, There's a second generation of of space shuttles that are coming out. Um, All of this has brought some changes um, on Earth. Uh, Electric cars are there far sooner than um, they are here. Um, The third season, which has not come out yet, that won't come out until uh, 2022, but there's a teaser at the end of the second season that shows... uh, someone, a human, on Mars. Um, So we know that there is going to be some type of base or something on Mars. All of this is happening. It's it's a fascinating look about, in some ways, what could have been? What could have been had we kept up the space race? What could have been had we um, still had that drive to improve upon ourselves, to be better, to, um, to strive. I bring that up because there is, um, I read an essay and it's actually now the essay is actually a year old, uh, by Mark Andreessen. Um, and for those of you who don't know, um, Mark Andreessen was the guy, if you remember Netscape, the old browser from the nineties, he was the one that created it. He's now a venture capitalist. Um, But he talks about the fact of how the coronavirus really showed really how the institutional failures that took place because of the coronavirus. The coronavirus kind of revealed some of these institutional failures. Um, And he really states the point that, you know, we want to blame a party or blame this government. But the fact is, is that everyone failed. It doesn't matter who they were, what country, what state. Um, everyone failed. And, you know, he talks about the fact that, you know, part of the problem is foresight, but um, the other part is that we didn't really do anything in advance. We didn't build, is what he gets at. Um, you know, we don't, didn't, uh, during the pandemic, have enough ventilators. We didn't have enough ICU beds. We didn't have enough surgical masks or all of that. We, um, there were just a lot of things that we didn't do. Um, we didn't build. We didn't build institutions. We didn't build actual infrastructure. We just did not build. And he thinks that, you know, what he saw is, and in our day and age is that we just aren't that interested in building and doing things you know, the new things the, the flying cars as we like to say um, that we aren't really educating the populace as much as we want to, we're not doing much in manufacturing um, just a lot of things and that what he sees there is a lot of sense, a sense of complacency a smug complacency that we're fine don't really need to do anything, and that this is just calm, but common throughout Western societies, but especially here in America, um, just kind of over and over again. You know, he talks. Uh, the one that, that that I was interested in was, of course, transportation. You know, he asks, you know, why aren't there supersonic aircraft, or drones, or monorails, or high-speed rail? Um, And, of course, the flying cars. Um, Now, of course, there is some things happening with supersonic aircraft. Um, If you are aware of boom supersonic, um, hopefully they will be having something out by the end of the decade. But everything else we haven't really done. And, again, there is a lot of um, complacency. Um, There's no sense of trying to improve no sense of trying to think outside the box we're just kind of pleased with what we have and even something of what we have we don't necessarily want you know you know the big thing right now as we're talking about infrastructure is um which i find fascinating because the fact is as much as we talk about the need for infrastructure and how much we want infrastructure the reality is we don't want it i mean we talk a little bit about the keystone excel pipeline some other pipelines and i i understand some of the 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 things that were the the reasons people are against it the environmental concerns Uh, some of the indigenous concerns, but I felt like, especially within, um, some movements, there isn't any kind of desire of trying to create a better mousetrap. You know, how can we transport fuel safely? How can we do it in ways that doesn't harm people? Um, You know, there are some places where there is a need for a pipeline because the older pipelines are falling apart. But there is this desire you can't um, build them because that means that we are talking about fossil fuels. Fossil fuels are bad. And so the answer then is just no. And there is no desire to either try to build a better mousetrap or. If we think that fossil fuels are so bad that we have to go towards other sources, to even push for, for harder for electric infrastructure and, and more electric cars. You know, you see this especially when it comes to transportation in that neither side wants to build certain uh, transportation because it goes against their beliefs. Um, I have never understood conservatives that seem to just have this fear of trains. Um, Whenever there's a talk about high-speed rail, it's just kind of a, a lot of people on the right just roll their eyes and say that it's a waste of time. But somehow it hasn't been a waste of time in Germany or Japan or China there are lots of other countries around the world that have been investing in high-speed rail. It has not been a waste. So why do we think that it will be a waste here? On the other end, then you have liberals who um, just detest the interstate highway system, which I think is one of the greatest kind of engineering and infrastructure feats ever done. Now, the reasoning, there are legitimate complaints. I think that there is, and people have said, a history of racism. And, you know, I've shared here in, in Minnesota, where I've lived for 25 years, a lot of minority neighborhoods were torn down. Uh to make way for freeways, because, of course, they were the people that were the weakest. They were the ones that weren't going to uh, fight back, or at least weren't, didn't have enough power to fight back. Um, that happened, like, again, here in, in St. Paul with Interstate 94, as it was going through, it went through an area um, in west, the western part of the city that was an African-American neighborhood. And basically lots of African-Americans were kicked out of their homes for this uh, freeway to come through. But there seems to be this no desire to think about that basically freeways are just bad. In fact, I remember reading a um, planner that considered freeways scars. Um There's no desire of how to make freeways better because the fact of the matter is you're going to have to find some way of getting things, especially even within metro areas. You know, having everything be a boulevard is not going to make it any better. You're going to have a lot of people that need to get from A to B in some fair amount of time. Um, You know, there's no thought of how we can make things better how we can improve freeways so that they are not as destructive. There's just a sense of, no, this doesn't work, or this is stupid, and we're just so full of ourselves that we're not willing to, to be better, to try better, because we think that we have arrived. And um, Andreessen is really talking about the fact that we need to get back into a, a belief of building And I think that he's right. I think that sense of building is a sense of desire of, and scrappiness that you want to do more. You want to be more. You just don't want to be satisfied with what you have because you think that there is something out there that's better, that you can build a better hospital, that you can build a better school, a better transportation system, that you can build better housing and you can build better cities. And we don't have that. And so what does this have to do with what I was talking about earlier? Everyone, there has been a lot of talk about basically what they think Trump is going to do in 2024. And that democracy is threatened. But we're not trying to think about how we can build things better. How can we make a better democracy? How can we make a better society? What are the things that we need to do that are better? And not just think that we are that much, that we, we know it all. You know, our political parties in many ways are trying to answer questions for the 20th century, but not for the 21st. Um, I've been involved, and there's been a lot of talk of trying to involve a, either a third party or at least a faction within the GOP that can counter Trumpism. But that it's not going to work if all if it does is that it's basically that we want it to be the party that it was in twenty fifteen, because for all as bad as Trump is, he at least showed us that what we were offering wasn't working, and so how can we be better? And maybe that's the problem because the belief in wanting to be better means that you're going to have to change you're going to have to change how you think you're going to have to change what you believe sometimes and that's scary it's far easier to just sit back and believe what you always believed and do what you always did because that's what you did but i don't think that that's going to change and so i don't know is are we here in america headed towards a uh, cultural uh, Damerong? I don't know. I think that the possibility is far more present now than it was even during the time that Trump was in office. I think that January 6th changed everything. But we have to have a belief that we can have a better society. We have to believe that we are we are willing to change, not for change's sake, but change for the sake of democracy. Because if, if we are just so satisfied with who we are, if we are just believing that this is inevitable, then it will be inevitable. Trump will find some way of returning to power. He will find some way of delegitimizing America even more. I think we are at an inflection point. We can be better. We can um, demand to be a better nation. Or we can just sit back. And let the Gotradamarung happen. But if it happens, then there is no going back. The old regime will have collapsed, and violence and disorder will rule. And we will wish. That we had made the chance, made the changes when we had the chance. Are we headed for a coup? I don't think so. Are we headed towards collapse? We might be. And on that cheery note, I uh, want to say thank you for listening to this episode. Please consider uh, leaving a um, review or um, a rating on whatever platform you listen to. And please consider doing that. It's helpful um, for us to know who's listening. It's helpful for us to know how we can be better. And it's also helpful for us, for, for me and for others to find this podcast. Also, um, if you feel like leaving a tip uh, to help support this podcast, please consider doing so. There is a link in uh, the show notes. And uh, thank you in advance for your donations. So that's it for this week. Uh, hopefully soon we will have another interview coming up. Um, until then, take care, everyone, and Godspeed. Godspeed.